take a take a look here uh, again this morning into the book of Ephesians. But if you were here with us last week, you know that uh, we got pretty pretty deep, uh, much deeper than even probably normally go, uh, into a passage that is a very debated passage, uh, a very talked about passage, and it has been for years. And I think I think we got some really good information out of it. I think we covered the debate fairly well. I think we talked about those things. And um, the, the thing that I think that we should have walked away with last week was the fact that God is in control, that he is fair, and he knows exactly what he's doing. And our human minds really, in all honesty, cannot fathom, cannot comprehend the things that God is doing because we live in this 3D, 4D world, and God is far beyond anything like that, like that. And we try and put him into our little box and try and say, this is who God is, and this is what it's about, and I completely understand him. The thing is, if there's ever a time in your life that you feel you completely understand who God is, your God is not big enough to be the God of the universe. So you need to understand that. You need to remember that. And as we read through some of these passages, it's one of those things that you're going to look at, and you're going you're gonna to hear, and you're going to see, and... And even this morning, as we get into it, um, we're going to see who God is and the power that we can plug into. Now, one of the things that I think we missed last week as we walked out of here was, was really beyond the knowledge. Because last week, we learned about this whole idea of election, this whole idea of predestination, this whole idea of being chosen. And, and we looked at that and we said, okay, now we kind of understand it. And we're, or maybe we don't understand it, but it doesn't matter because we don't really need to because God does know exactly what he's doing. And that's what's important. But as you see, the title of our sermon series throughout the next, however long it takes to get through Ephesians is, The Life You Were Meant to Live. And when we walked out of here last week, or maybe you listened to it online. Maybe you weren't able to make it in last week and you listened to it online. The thing that, that really stood out to me was, is did we, at some point in time, plug into the fact that our lives are meant to change and there's a life that we are meant to live and most of us, if not all of us, are not living that life that God has called us to live? Did we walk out of here with that, did we have a life-changing experience due to the message last week? And I'm not saying that, wow, I really brought it, and then you got it, and everything is good. What I'm saying is, is did God speak to your heart to say, hey, this is the way that it should be? There were two words that were simple words, yet huge words last week that we talked about. And it should be the two words that changed everything about you and the way that you view you, and the way that you view life, and the way that you live it. Those two words were throughout the passage, and they really are throughout all of Scripture. Those two words were, in Christ. In Christ. Really, that should change everything that we have up here in our brains. Excuse me for just a second. I, like the rest of you, have been battling with all kinds of stuff this week. I know there's some people that aren't even here because of sickness, and, and this is just a great, great morning to be able to hang on one more time. The idea of being in Christ 
should change everything that we have about ourselves because there's so many of us that, that deal with, <coughs> sorry about that. Um, we may have to go to song a little earlier than normal. Um, we, uh, we being in Christ should change the way we view ourselves. You see, because, as we talked about last week, we're chosen. And we respond to being chosen by God because we're chosen by God. We're redeemed by Jesus. That opportunity is there, and we respond to that, and then we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That should change us because the old has gone and the new has come. But maybe after last week you were like me. Because last week when we were done, the first thing that went through my mind was, okay, let's clean up and go to lunch. And I don't know if you have that same thing, that, that you go through that mental process when, we're, when you're sitting there and you're thinking about things and all you're thinking about on a Sunday morning is, is where are we going to go to lunch when he's done? I'm okay with that. I'm, it's not going to hurt my feelings, I promise. Because I have the same thing. I'm just like, okay, I've got one more page left and then we get to go to lunch. You know, those are the things that go through your mind. But last week it shouldn't have been that way for me. And I don't know why it did and it, it bothered me all week long because I thought to myself, there's so many things that should have risen up in my brain. There's so many questions that should have really popped up. Because when I am in Christ, the first question that should come to my mind is, why do I do what I do? Why am I the way that I am? Why am I not striving to be more like what God wants me to be in response to Him choosing us out of the depths of spiritual darkness? Why does it not change my life? Why do I put so much stock in the things that are around me, in this worldly stuff? Why do I get excited about things when really those things, those things that are on your identity paper that I had you fill out there in the middle? Let me ask you one question. How many of those things are temporary? How many of those things can be taken away? If we had a giant earthquake and a huge tsunami was so big that it hit New Mexico and washed everything away, would those things easily be taken away on your 10? How many of them? If a fire were to break out, if you were to get into a car accident, if any of those kind of things, what's the only thing of all the things of your identity that would stay, that would matter? Because if you put that you are in Christ and that is what makes your identity, that is the only thing that is eternal. I love my family. I love my church. I love my friends. I love my stuff. But all of those things can be taken from me. The only thing that cannot be taken from me is my relationship with Christ. That is the only thing that I cannot lose. And it will stay with me for eternity. So shouldn't I live that way? That that is the most important thing in my life because that is the only thing that's going to last? It's one of those things that we should think about. Because I love being right here. I was so excited to come back last week. I'm not sure if you had a chance to, to notice, but at the beginning, I could not slow down. I was so excited to be back up here speaking again. I was just rattling things off. I had to actually stop and say, hey, let's pray for a second, just so I could calm myself down. 
I was listening back as, as I was listening to the, the time to put it up on the, on the Internet. I'm like, I'm going to cut that out because I just sound ridiculous because I'm so excited. I sound like a little kid who just got a new toy and just can't, ex- can't even explain it because I'm too excited about it. And I was excited to be back up here. But what if last week, what if last week I wasn't able to come back? What if the surgery would have been worse than, than was originally expected? What if they had to take my tongue and I wasn't able to talk anymore? Would my life and who I am be over? I would like to say no, but for the most part, it would be. I mean, this is kind of where I define myself at. A lot of times, our definition of who we are is found in the job that we do. Whether that be a, an actual job and the job we're paid to do, because what's the first question you ask somebody? Hey, what's your name? Second question is, what is it that you do? That's how we define ourselves, even in a volunteer role here at the church. Well, hey, what do you do here at the church? We let those things define ourselves. But if those things are taken away from us, is our life over? The answer is, the answer is no. Because we should find our passion not in what we do, but we should find our passion in Christ and respond to that passion in what we do. To live out that passion in what we do. Probably the hardest thing for me, because I, I like attention, okay? Most people like attention. Some people like positive attention. Some people like negative attention. Some people like limited. Some people like maximum. I'm kind of the maximum part of area. I like attention. I enjoy being in front of people. Most people are terrified. If I said, here, why don't you finish my sermon because I keep coughing, most of you say, no, thank you. Um, it's word for word. You can just read it. It's fine. But it would be terrifying. For me, I enjoy being in front of people. One of the hardest things for me in all that I do is when I get done and somebody says, hey, great sermon this morning, Pastor Matt. Great sermon. Or on the flip side, if nobody says anything. Those two things battle with my ego inside of my head. Because this, I would love to tell you right now, it's going to be on tape, it'll be on the, online, it'll be there forever, it'll forever be in there. This is not about me or my ego. This is strictly about getting God's word out to God's people so that he can take them, take, or they can take that word out to more people. It's not about me. This church is not about me. All these things that I do for God, it's not about me. I'm not about performance Christianity. I'm not trying to impress anybody. I'm not trying to do anything. I'm really not that smart. I've told you that plenty of times before. I am not up here for me. I am up here for God, but yet my ego continues to beat me up and tell me that that I am wrong. No, this is about you. You need to have that affirmation that it was a great sermon. Or if they don't say something, you really blew it, and you better figure out where you blew it at because whatever you said obviously offended some people. You know, those are the things that kind of go through my mind, and I'd be willing to bet that they go through your mind as well. I'd be willing to bet that you maybe come to this church because you know it's for God, but on the inside you're kind of battling with yourself saying, how is this going to meet my needs. That is the thing that bothers me the most when people actually say that. 
Well, you know, I don't go to that church because it's just not meeting my needs. Well, I'd like to slap you upside the head and tell you that it's not about you. Okay? One of the benefits is, is that, yeah, your needs may be met by some of the things. One of the great things about the people that come to this church is, is you understand that. Because this church, unfortunately, isn't big enough. It's not established enough. We don't have our own building. We don't have those things. And you understand, it's not about us. It's about God. It's about reaching a community. There's two huge neighborhood subdivisions over here, Northern Hills, Northern Meadows. We've got one huge one over here, Enchanted Hills, that need to know about Jesus Christ, period. That is why we are here. It's not about meeting needs and making Christians more comfortable. That's not why we do this. That might be kind of the offspring. That's why we have nicer chairs when we moved over here. It's a little bit of a comfort thing. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's not about us. And that is what I wish would have stuck with me from last week's message. That's the one thing, after I gave you all that knowledge of, hey, this is if anybody wants to ever debate you on Calvinism or Arminianism, you can throw in these little points here, and these are juicy tidbits, and everybody's like, ooh, you're so smart. That's not what I wanted to walk away with. What I wanted to walk away with was the fact that it is not about us. It's the fact that we are in Christ and we are blessed because of it. That is what I wanted to walk away with last week. Our identity is in Christ. And the thing is, is I would be very surprised if most, if not all of you already know that. But there's a difference between knowing and doing. Knowing and responding to that knowledge. And that, that is one of the things that I want to do today. As Paul continues to write this letter to the church at Ephesus, he talks about the fact, he talks about the fact that you guys are responding. And this is the you guys at Ephesus, but it's sure as much for us as well, that you guys are responding to the fact that you have been blessed in Christ. Our identity should determine our activity. Our identity should determine our activity. You want to know who you are in Christ? Just from the passage we read last week, this from Ephesians chapter 1 through uh, uh, verses 1 through 14. Look at all the things that it talks about. Because we are in Christ, we are faithful. We are blessed in the heavenly realms with every, every spiritual blessing. We are chosen before the creation of the world by the holy God. We are holy and blameless. We are adopted as his child. We are given glorious grace lavishly without restriction. We are in him. We have redemption. We're forgiven. We have purpose. We have hope. We are included. We are sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. And this, this week, included in that list, is that we are saints. We are saints. This passage in just one week tells us all these things. And if you go throughout the entire New Testament, you'll find all kinds of stuff. Go to our blog. I put them all on there, all the things that we are in Christ. I have, there's a list that is two pages long of all the things we are because we are in Christ. That is where we need to find our identity at. And our identity, our identity should determine our activity. If you have your Bibles open, I'd ask you to open up to, or if you don't already, open up to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 15 through the first half of 19. 15 through the first half of 19. It says this in the NIV, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. 
remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart, what we just sang about, the eyes of our heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his uncomparably great power for us who believe. You know, just like last week, there's a lot of meaty stuff in this passage. There's a lot of meaty stuff in this passage, and you can guess because it follows last week's passage that it has a lot to do with it. So the first thing I want to do is I want to see that Paul here is talking to the church at Ephesus about two things. He has talked to them now about the blessings that they have because they are in Christ, but the follow-up verse, verse 15, talks about their faith in God and their love for people. Their faith in God and their love for people. The fact is, how do you think Paul heard about the church at Ephesus' faith in God and love for people? Is it because they had a great website or they posted a lot on Facebook, a lot of great Christian verses? Is it because they had a, an amazing ministry project that they did that they, they put on the news and, and uh, showed how they fed the homeless? How was it? They found out, or Paul found out about them through word of mouth because people experienced this love and people experienced all of the things that go here. Faith in God and love in people. Now, we could really stop right there and just say, okay, we're done. You guys know that. But I want to take a closer look at this, at why this is important and why these were two huge things that Paul had to mention about the church at Ephesus and why they should be two huge things at every Christ-following church in the world. Faith and love are two signs of living in obedience to God. Faith and love are the two things, I'm not sure if you remember back when we did the Ten Commandments last summer, and we said that Jesus in the New Testament wrapped up the Ten Commandments in two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It makes sure to make it very clear, and those things are love God, love others. Have a faith in God, love Him, and in response to that, love others. Can we say, can we say that as a part of our lives? Can we say that as a part of our church? Can we say that as a, a common definition of churches in America, that we love God and we just love others? I'd have to say probably not, unfortunately, because you've probably heard me say this before, but it tends to be that Christians are known more for what they're against than what they're actually for. And we tell people how they're wrong instead of how God loves them. Faith. Some people think that faith is simply trust or believing in something or letting your mind go just a little bit further than what it can possibly comprehend. But it's so much more than that. Faith is responsive. Faith responds to those things. Like this. I have faith that this chair this stool can hold me up. I have all the faith. It has a great base on it. It has the ability to go up and down. It seems strong. But you know what? Nobody's going to believe my faith until what? 
I sit in it. I actually respond to my faith and I sit in it. I'm just hoping it doesn't break because that'd be bad. Until you put your faith in action, it doesn't really mean much. Until you put your faith in God and respond to that, and respond to that God, and respond to that love, it doesn't mean much. And how's one of the ways we respond? By loving others. By loving others. And you know, this word love, it can be such a tricky word. It's such an emotional word. It's one of those words we throw out so often, and we don't even really mean it. And we, we have these big things like pizza that we say we love. And we have our family that we love. And we have our spouse that we love. And we have these things that we love. It can be such a tricky word. But once again, when Jesus says love others, he doesn't just mean that emotional part of it all. He means to actually respond. As a matter of fact, 1 John 3.18 tells us, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Not just with your words, not to say, hey, I love you. I'm sorry you're going to hell and walk away. It's to actually say, I love you. How can I introduce you to the Lord, our Savior, to help you understand that without him, you're going to hell? How can I open up my mouth so that God can open up your heart to what he has to say to you. That is love and faith together. That is the obedience of God. Now, I don't want you to get confused and say, well, these are the things we have to do if we're going to be Christians. Because God didn't say you have to do anything. God loved you before anything that you've ever done. God loves you because of the things that you've done and in spite of the things that you've done. And he loved us, as we said last week, since the beginning of the world, before the beginning of the world. He loved you and he chose you. These are things we do in response. To say, yes, God, I know that you love me, and because you love me, I need to do this. Because I feel that burning passion on the inside to say, because you love me, I want to respond. Not because I responded, now you love me more. And that is a human ego that we get twisted up in, that we get caught up in, that we say, my good deeds somehow are going to make God love me more. But you put your good deeds and stack them next to God's perfection, and guess what? They're worthless. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, the Bible very clearly says, your good deeds are filthy menstrual rags compared to God's perfection. I know, the Bible actually has some some stuff in there we probably shouldn't say in church, right? Um, It's amazing to think about that we think that what we do really matters in the grand scheme of things. No, it's just a response to say, I want to be obedient to God because he loved me so much. And that is where it comes into. So verse, verses 3 through 14, he talks about these blessings that we have. He talks about the blessings we have because we are in Christ. These spiritual blessings, these things that cannot be taken away. Verse 15, he talks about their lifestyle and he encourages them to continue to be obedient. To have obedience. And then in verse 16, he continues to say, hey, I am going to pray for you in your obedience. You guys are amazing Christians. You're doing some things that are just blowing people's minds. Word is spreading throughout the entire world. It is now in a book that is throughout the entire world. You guys 
have amazing faith in God and you are loving people for who they are and showing them the love of God. I'm going to pray for you. Kind of in my mind, makes me think, why? I mean, if these guys already have all this great spirituality, if you will, why do we need to pray for them? Most of the time we think about the people we have to pray for that don't have that. The ones that are the ones that are really struggling in that area. But I think, I think what Paul is doing here is he wants them to have more. He wants them to continue to grow. And what is that more? Verse 17 tells us. Verse 17 tells us, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I think that's something we could all use, right? A little bit of wisdom from the Holy Spirit. Maybe sprinkle a little revelation on top of it so we know how to use that wisdom. And the reason why, the reason why Paul wants them to have it and the reason why Paul wants us to have it is so we can know God better. I've already said this morning that we need to know God and what he has done for us and understand that we are to respond to that. Not try and do things to get that love, but instead understand that he already loves us and we are to respond to that. What he has done for us and our response to him should be obedience because once again we're in Christ. But we need to understand the blessings. We need to respond in obedience to Christ's commands. And then we need to do exactly as what Paul prays for here. Have that spirit of wisdom and revelation. And we need to pray for it for ourselves. We need to pray for it for our friends. You see, Paul didn't say, well, you know, I'm already at a certain point. He wanted to pray to make sure people knew what was going on. We need to know God and continue to grow in our knowledge and wisdom of him. And if you have your note pages today, what that is that we're talking about is head knowledge. Head knowledge. I want to clarify this with who God is to get to know better too. The God we're talking about getting to know better is the God of the Bible. Not the one that we have created in our mind. Not the God that man-made religion has made to fit into their mold. I'm talking about the God of the Bible. The one true, powerful God. And Paul's prayer here is that God would give the church at Ephesus and us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And this spirit that he's talking about, it's got a capital S. In most translations, some of you don't, but then if you read the cross-references, it says it, it is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit that sealed us back up in verse 11 that we talked about last week, sealed us and gave us that inheritance and, and made that guarantee known to us that we were locked in with Christ. The same Spirit is to give us the wisdom that we need, which means this is the Spirit that directs us in right thinking and then after that, it directs us in right doing. These are the things where things should be changing in our mind. And the word wisdom here really is about the fact that we have the ability to use knowledge in a correct manner. It's like the faith and the love that we mentioned before. Knowledge is not just knowing in our head. It's in response to it. And that's where the wisdom comes in it, that we understand what this knowledge is and how to respond in the right way. Alongside that wisdom, Paul prays for revelation. And revelation, 
Revelation is really, he's praying that for us to all have an aha moment. For us to say, yes, I get it. I finally get it. I understand what is going on. Paul is pl- praying specifically for a light switch to come on. As we get to know God better, for you to say, I-, I finally get it. I finally understand why I do what I do. I finally understand who God is and what he has done in our lives. God doesn't just want to be our friend or a mere acquaintance. He wants to get to know us in this deep relational way. And for us to be able to do that, we have to continue to get to know him better. It's just like any friendship you have. If you were married, you understand that. If you are married and you never connect with your your husband or your wife and you only see each other for five minutes a week, it's very difficult to say that, yes, you are continuing to build a relationship. It needs to continue to build and continue to build and continue to build, and you do that by spending time together and getting to know one another. And it goes from friendships and relationships and marriages and all of those sorts of things. I'm not sure if you've seen it here yet, but as you take a look, and maybe you've heard me say it already, it's not just about knowing. It's not just about knowing facts. I mean, we live in a, in a culture that is saturated with information. I can pull up my iPhone right now. I can plug into uh, Safari, and anything I want to Google, I can give you information on. Not, not everything's going to be true, but I can Google information and, and, and do it. That's not what this is about. That is not the knowledge we're talking about because that kind of knowledge only helps you in a debate or that kind of knowledge only helps you on Jeopardy. The knowledge here that we're talking about is knowing God and responding to it. It is about praying that our knowledge of God is affecting the inside of our lives so much that it changes the way that we respond to people. It changes our entire lives. So that we can, like the title of our message series says, live the way that we were meant to live. It's a difficult thing. It's a difficult thing to, to, to really take, but taking that head knowledge and changing it into what's next, our heart knowledge. It's moving it from here to here. Moving from just knowing to actually feeling it. And that song that Scott opened up with was, Open the Eyes of My Heart. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. That was like the Christian anthem of the 90s and early 2000s. And everybody sang it. Even John Tesh sang it. It was on all the infomercials. And you see it, and you listen to the words of that song. And the one thing I I just, I love about music, and at the same time I hate about it, is it's so easy to get into a tune and forget what the words are actually saying. We're singing a prayer here that says, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord, because I want to what? see you. I want to know you better. I want to take this heart or head knowledge and change it into a heart knowledge from just knowing you to actually my entire inside being wants to feel you and wants to be close to you and I want to live for you. I don't know about you, but maybe that revelation moment is starting to work inside of you. Because the one thing I've noticed about the way that God sprinkles in that revelation that we talked about is that a bunch of people are sitting in here and listening to this message. But only a couple has God opened their eyes to their heart to say, yes, 
It's time for you to do something. It's time for you to stop acting like a Christian and actually being one. It's time for you for just, instead of just performing in front of people on Sundays, instead of just putting on a show, to actually do something with your life. I know it's a crazy thing to think about, but this life, everything about it, is not about us. It's about the fact that we are found in Christ, period. Look at verse 18 and 19. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. You see, when you have one of those aha revelation moments, maybe you've had one in your life, and sometimes we look at people who have those aha moments and say, what What did they get out of this? How did they get something out of this and I didn't? Why are they crying? Why is there tears running down their face? There's nothing emotional about this message at all. There's something about that song that got them all worked up, and I'm having a hard time figuring out what the words are even saying. How's that happening? God works in mysterious ways. We've already talked about that. He is God. We are not. We don't understand. He does. That's what it basically boils down to. But there's things that God's going to do, and there's people that God's going to speak to, and as he draws them closer to you, some of you are further along than others, and some of you are going to say, man, when I walk out of here tomorrow when I go to work, I, I really need to figure out how I'm going to change to be more like what Christ wants me to be, to respond in obedience to faith in God and love for people. And others, you are going to say, man, what's for lunch? I mean, each of us have a different way in how we respond. Some people, it takes more time. It amazes me to think about how God brought me to this point right here. It amazes me to think about it. And a lot of times we don't have our aha moments until we look back and say, oh, okay, and now I know what God was doing. I finally finally got it. I honestly don't know if I'd even be a Christian if my parents hadn't gotten a divorce. You mean to tell me that my parents getting divorced was supposed to be a good thing in my life? Then you wouldn't have been able to tell me. But now, for sure. If you would have told me when my stepdad was killed in an accident when I was 17 that that was going to change my life for the better, I would have told you you were crazy. Because I had four brothers and sisters who were all very young and didn't understand. And I was 17 at the time, and I still didn't understand. How was I supposed to let that be something good for me? And how was that supposed to change who I was? Even into the point of when I I got into ministry, which was a bit of a fluke thing, because my whole degree, I'm not sure if you even know this, my whole degree is in elementary education. Everything I have was, was set up to be a teacher. But my whole life changed because of God and how he directed me. I never wanted to live in New Mexico. And when God provided the only opportunity for me to have a job in New Mexico, ask Christy. Her parents live in Amarillo. When we lived in Phoenix, we would drive I-40 to get to Amarillo. And every time I hit Albuquerque, I'd be like, who in the world wants to live in this hole? I've been here for nine years now. But everything that God has done to bring me to this point, he knew exactly what he was doing, and I didn't. Everything that I have gone through, God knows exactly what he's doing. And see, once again, God has this masterful plan that involves the entire world. 
Some of you are sitting in this room because you met me eight, nine years ago. And we built a relationship. And because we built a relationship and we decided, hey, we're going to, God's called us to do a church. Would you join me? And you said, you know what? I think I know you well enough and what God is doing. And that's something I feel that we need to do. And now you're here because of it. All because we intersected paths. All because God knew exactly what he was doing the day that we met. Those are the kind of things that I think about. That, wow. Wow. God has some amazing things in store for each and every one of us. You know, I wouldn't be half the man I am right here, right now, if... In 13 years, 13 years ago, three weeks from today, I'll be married to my beautiful wife. It was the day that we got married. And it was, it was an amazing day. But if I had never met Christy, I'm telling you, I'd be a totally different man. She makes me who I am. She challenged me to be better. And because of those things, I am able to stand here. And I think, what if I would have said, no, I'm going to chase after that other girl who isn't nearly as spiritually strong and somebody who, you know, I can take advantage of or whatever it might be, and my life would be a wreck, just a miserable wreck, and I wouldn't be here. God knows exactly what he's doing. And some of you are going through some stuff right now in your life that you are just hating. It's making you who you are. Don't let it be who you are, but it's making you who you are. Because sometimes that's where we find our identity, is in the things that have happened to us. Second time now, I'm dealing with cancer. I could say, hey, I'm a cancer survivor, and that could be who I am. But no, that's not who I am. Who I am is I am a sin survivor because of Jesus Christ. And that's one of the things that I think about, and I think about how did God bring us here? Why is he doing it? Why do we want to have our eyes open and our, our bodies open and our hearts open to what God is doing? Three things Paul prays for. The hope of the calling of the Lord. This isn't some hope like a wish. Like I wish that I knew the calling of the God. No, this is hope in what is concrete and what is coming. What is going to happen real soon. See, there's a mighty, mighty king that is over all of us. And we know exactly that we're going to spend eternity with him because we have a hope to know that when this life is done, we'll be in his presence. The second thing is the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Now, when we talked about last week, we talked about the fact that there was a, a, an inheritance that we were going to get. This inheritance is talked about here is the inheritance that God is going to get in us. Some of you are like, wait a second. That's a, that doesn't sound like a very good deal. To God, it's a great deal. That's how highly he views us. That's how highly he puts ourselves up. We put ourselves down all the time. We like to wallow around in self-pity and say, oh, woe is me. But God is like, no, no, no. You are my inheritance. You are what I get when all this is over, and I am extremely excited about it. We need to see ourselves as God sees us, as his inheritance. We need to stop looking in the gutters. We need to stop wallowing in the trash cans and looking for things to try and make us feel better and understand what's going to make us feel better is understanding that we are God's children, period. And that's it. That is the reason why this part of the Ephesian is written is an encouragement to us. Why does Paul want us to have our eyes open? 
and of our heart. So we stop living for things of this world and we start living for God. That's it. That's it. When our eyes are really open to this idea that we are God's glorious riches, that we are His inheritance, when we see this, we are free from that performance Christianity that I was telling you about. We are free from the idea of working for God's love. We are free from trying to set ourselves up to that impossibly high standard that God has already set. Jesus came to set us free. That's what John 10.10 tells us, and this is what it's all about. The third and final thing I want to tell you about why he's opening up our eyes is this very thing. Because we have an incomparably great power for us who believe. Can I ask you a very simple question, but yet a very difficult question at the same time? Do you know the power of God? Do you know the power of God? When this whole process started, I had to go down and get PET scans and CAT scans and all those kind of things like that with this whole cancer thing that started. My friend let me borrow, and you maybe saw it on the blog, but a 2010 Ford Shelby Cobra Mustang GT500 with just... I still dream about it. I'd never experienced power like that before. And the funny thing is that I I felt a little bit bad on the inside, and at the same time I didn't. Because he he let me borrow this car. It wasn't like I was going to drive it 20 miles an hour. Why is that? Because that car is not built to go 20 miles an hour. It's built with power and speed. And you can ask Scott, we are getting on at Martin Luther King to get on to go, to go north on I-25, and there's that little two-lane deal, and then it kind of goes into one. And this little focused station wagon, something or other, was in front of us, and I'm like, no way. Boom! Oh, right around, it's smoke, and it was heads back, and it was like a roller coaster, and it was just amazing! And I was like, yeah! You know, and maybe, maybe my minivan will be able to do that someday. But I don't think so. When you realize you have the power, plug yourself into it and use it. And you think the power of a Mustang is amazing? Wait till you plug into the power of God. Maybe, maybe, maybe you've experienced it. You've experienced it through good times and you've experienced it through bad times. But you understand that there's a power that is there and there's a power that just grabs a hold of you. But it's just like anything else. We have red lights glowing back here. But if I unplug them from the wall, guess what? They're not going to work. They can't work on their own. Just like us. If we are unplugged from God, there are so many things we try and do on our own. If we are not plugged into God, it's just not going to work. He has the power to save. He has the power. You know, we're going to sing here in just a second. And Scott, if you want to start bringing everybody up. The first song we're going to sing about is Mighty to Save. And it's one of those songs we sing a lot. And once again, we have a, we have a handful of songs. I think we have four or five songs today. But when we, we sing the words, sometimes we just sing it because we like the way it sounds or, or whatever it is, or sometimes we don't like the way it sounds and we won't sing it. And, you know, it was funny because as I was listening to Open the Eyes of My Heart, maybe it's just because it was early and we hadn't gotten into it and I hadn't yelled at you a little bit yet and got your blood flowing a little bit, or at least my own blood. Um, there wasn't a lot. I didn't hear a lot. And maybe it was, 
I don't know what it was, but it was like, holy, holy, holy. That's, that's all I could hear. I'm like, maybe it's my ears. Maybe I'm plugged up because of this congestion. I don't know. But there wasn't anything to it. It's like, we're singing to God here. And, you know, this God that we serve, that we take a Sunday morning out and then we live our lives for during the week, he has this amazing power, and he is mighty to save. And we're going to sing probably one of my favorite songs this morning called Glorious Day. And maybe you've heard it, uh, um, Casting Crowns. They play it all the time on the radio. But it talks about how he came to save us and all the things he went through to bring us to where we're at. And it's his name that has power. I want to challenge you this morning that as we sing, stand up and sing with us. And sing it as a prayer to God. Not just because you have to go through the motions to get through. I mean, it's 11 o'clock. Yeah, okay, well, that means we have about 20 minutes worth of songs and we're going to go get some lunch and some of us are going to tear down chairs. Sing this to God as if you really mean it. Sing it as a prayer to Him saying, God, I am so thankful that you came down here, that your name does have power, that you are mighty to save.